At home, we always speak Ukrainian and uh, always went to Ukrainian in English church. Yeah, but the situation now, we cannot go to Ukraine now. But one day, when everything will be quiet there, We're at Piccadilly Gardens, and there are hundreds of people gathered round the statue of Queen Victoria. Many of them are wearing bandanas in the colours of Ukraine. Some of them are wearing traditional Ukrainian flowers in their hair. There are people covering the steps on the way up to the statue. And you've got different speakers making short speeches about the war, expressing their anger, expressing their sadness. And... Every 25 minutes or so, we get another rendition of the Ukrainian anthem. And it's this very beautiful 19th century anthem when it was sung by this community of Ukrainians who are gathering while their country is at war. It was very somber and very weary, and it didn't have the kind of martial grandeur you expect of this kind of music. It felt very reserved, and it was a very beautiful moment. And I actually found going to that vigil and being among all these Ukrainians while they talked about their loved ones and their country, a very moving event. This is a special Manchester Weekly from the mill. Hello, I'm Daryl Morris. Welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. Yoshi Herman is the editor of the Mill, Manchester's quality newspaper, delivered by email. A different tone to the podcast this week, Yoshi, as we take stock of events unfolding in Ukraine and the response from the Ukrainian community here in Greater Manchester. Yeah, and it's a big community. It's a well-established community that originally was settled in the 19th century, late 19th century, I believe. But really, there's a, a large number of Ukrainians whose families came here in the Second World War or just after, and a further wave who I think came here more recently in the, in the past decade. And what I saw when I went to this vigil in Piccadilly Gardens, and I think a lot more of our listeners will see it when there's another vigil, which is happening this weekend, is that this community has a lot of sort of joint culture. Like they go to some of the same churches, including one in Cheatham Hill. They have a community centre. As we'll find out from Danny when we um, hear from her later in the podcast, they have dance evenings for the children. And even people who sound entirely British, middle-aged people who grew up in this country but had Ukrainian parents, they are very plugged into the community and they go to the churches and they wear the, some of the national dress. And, you know, when I was in Piccadilly Gardens, there were a couple of men who had their daughters on their shoulders and their daughters sounded like any kid at your local primary school. They sounded like one of them is from Yorkshire, one of them is from Manchester. But they clearly have as a part of their identity the fact that they are Ukrainian. And I imagine that bit of their identity, like we all have these different identities in us, don't we? I imagine that bit of their identity has really grown in strength in the past week. And both of those little girls actually said that they wanted to go and visit Ukraine. You know, one of their dads was kind of like, well, we can't at the moment. But it's a big community. It's not one I knew a lot about before, but going to this event really brought home just like, God, these people really have a lot of ties to each other. I felt that they had a sense that they had a duty to be there. Several people said they'd just been glued to the news, like almost sort of doom watching, you know. Their country is at war. They are hundreds of miles away. They feel this real 
helplessness about not being there. They're watching the news all day, all night. There's a guy called Michael who lives near Huddersfield. He has been in the country for, you know, quite a few years now. But he said he's barely been able to sleep since the Russian invasion of his country. So, you know, there's this anxiety there. Um, I spoke to a, an economics lecturer called Daria. She was in Kiev to say goodbye to her mother, who was critically ill. Her mother died a few days before the invasion, and they managed to bury her, thankfully. that They had a funeral. And... You know, she was kind of feeling guilty, I sensed. I didn't just sense, actually. She explicitly said she felt guilty for leaving her country because it was like Ukraine was clearly entering its hour of, you know, maximum need, its hour of maximum darkness. And Daria felt for her children she needed to be back in this country where she's lived for a long time. She felt for her husband, who she was with, that if she wasn't with him, he might struggle to get out of the country. So they fled via Poland and they got back here. But she said several times, it's not a good feeling, the fact that I'm not there and, 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 and my people are going through this. So, you know, those were a couple of the kind of types of emotions I came across at that, at that vigil. Goodness me. These are choices that seem unimaginable, don't they? Until suddenly they're not. Until suddenly they're very imaginable. And uh, a community here in our midst are feeling that sort of visceral shock and disbelief of what they're seeing in their homeland. We're going to hear of the, the course of this podcast from that community. And before the end, we'll hear from a guy called Jez, who is from Manchester, and his partner, Maria, who is from Ukraine, and their story of journeying across Europe during the course of the war. They've spent the majority of the war so far trying to go through the visa application process to get back to Manchester. We spoke to them a little while ago at the airport in Poland as they were about to fly into Manchester. And the Mills Danny Cole uh, went along to a Ukrainian dance class this week as well to take stock of the feeling there. Earlier on today, I also went to visit Oksana, who runs a Ukrainian, Russian and Latvian food store in Manchester in wow. Cheatham Hill. She's right at the center of this community who serves all the elements of this community the russian and the ukrainian community as well mm. she was in ukraine a couple of weeks ago and has left her mother there she is clearly beside herself but also trying still to serve her community we'll hear from her shortly Yoshi, if you if you just you know having your ear to the ground in in manchester in the last week or so and being at that that demonstration vigil what's your sort of overall sense of the mood I think it's really difficult to say because you speak to different people. Obviously, people are different. People are responding in different ways. I talked earlier about the guilt that I think some people feel about not being in their country. Totally understandable. I talked about the anxiety that people are feeling and the kind of sense of almost like feeling glued to the TV, even though you're not going to get any news about your own family member on there, but you're still sort of watching it, you know. I think there's also a sense of defiance. I mean, I spoke to a woman called Nadia at that vigil. You know, her father's in Ukraine. He's hunkered down in a, in a shelter and she's like terribly worried about him. Her sister is in a city near Odessa, which has been under bombardment. It's very close to a city that's just fallen um, to the Russians in the past couple of days. But actually, she was in pretty good spirit. She'd spoken to her kids about what war is, her two young daughters, and, and told them, you know, I think she said, you know, we told them that people die. I kind of got the impression she was preparing them just in case worse news was going to come down the track, maybe, you know, potentially family news or whatever. But she was also defiant. You know, I said, you know, do you think Ukraine can come through this? And she said, of course we will win, you know. And she had her kids running around her and I almost felt like 
her kids were a welcome distraction from the awfulness you know she said it was absolutely awful what was happening in a country a country needed help and then you had these kids running around and screaming with their little friends and we were surrounded by her friends and her family from the church that she goes to and i thought well god it's you know it's a good thing that they have each other here they have this support network this really strong community they have these local institutions that they rally around the church and the community center in these dance classes what a wonderful thing that they have those things and what a wonderful thing that she has these two daughters who can kind of take her mind off mm. this dreadful war and hopefully what we'll do in the next few weeks is, is, is catch up with her again one of those focal points is uh Rodjala, which is a store in cheatham hill a place where Ukrainian, Russian, Latvian, British nationals come and meet and socialise and buy food. It's a food store, but it's also sort of doubles up as a sort of community centre by default. It was relatively quiet when I went, but I did meet Oksana. She owns and runs the store. She is Ukrainian. She gave me some insight into how she's feeling, how the community are feeling as well, as somebody that's not only a focal point at the centre of the Ukrainian community, but also serves Russians and Latvians on a regular basis as well. Here's what happened when I went to speak to Oksana earlier. Yeah. Hi, yeah. nice Hi, to nice see you. How nice are you doing? I can't say I'm well no. enough, but I'm trying to cope anyway. My name is Oksana Olinik. I'm the owner of international, I would say, shop in Manchester. We are called Rodina. Rodina is the Ukrainian uh, name for family. But there is also Russian name Rodina, which is motherland. I'm very sorry because I'm very emotional. So the idea was to call uh, the name which will be very close to everybody, you know. From the very beginning, we were center of the unity, you know, and uh, gathering, social uh, place, uh, you name it, you know. We've never been on one side trying to be international and neutral to all people here and it's always been great you know we've always been very friendly towards each other you know i've got international staff they are from lithuania latvia ukraine you know do we all speak in russian because it's the international language we never divided anybody you know so at the moment we are trying to stay neutral as well and we don't want to express any other uh, you know uh, thoughts uh, but we need to speak out as well because being ukrainian myself you know uh, my heart is breaking it's just absolutely no explanation whatsoever what's going on there you know and the people are dying children are dying pregnant women in the hospital they are being hit by you know weapon little weapon it's just uh, i'm not politician you know you 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 know yourself what's going on there and you can see it yourself you know but for me if the whole world stands by ukraine we all need to do something as well uh, at the moment we are still center for everybody people are coming people are ringing you know asking how they can help you know and how we can uh, you know provide stuff because they want to bring stuff to our shop you know at the moment I'm, I'm trying to organize as well careers there are lots of people who do this you can see ourselves we've got some points of uh, collecting money it all will be given to the right people you know to the people we trust this is what we do now this is how we can help and you've been back to Ukraine quite recently yes I've been there I came back 18th of 
February, you know, I was visiting my mother for Christmas, you know, because Orthodox Christmas is later than uh, Catholic. And I was staying there and uh, I was thinking, you know, uh, there were some rumors that Russia will invade uh, Ukraine and they would never believe it. We still don't believe it. And I was thinking that, that I should stay with my mom to support her because she's 80 year old, you know, and... Uh, when it finishes, I will go, you know, but I had to flee, basically. I had to to, to arrange my flight as soon as I can because, you know, uh, British government asked British citizens to live there. It was very heart- heartbreaking, again, to leave my mother behind. She's still there, you know. And, she's uh, still there now in Ukraine? She's still there because she doesn't have, she doesn't travel anymore. She's 80-year-old, you know. And where um, is she? How is she saying? She is in the western part of the Ukraine, which is, you know, quiet place, I would say, but we've been hit in the very first day. Uh, our uh, military airport was hit by missiles as well, you know, because they wanted to de- demolish the military infrastructure. You know, nobody's safe there anymore. We do have another humanitarian disaster there because people are f- from east of Ukraine and central of Ukraine are fleeing now and they all go to western part of the Ukraine, you know, and they stay there. And of course, people from my city and uh, around in city trying to provide for them and trying to comfort them, you know, but a lot of people, you never know who comes there, you know, and it's, it's not safe there as well. And you serve Ukrainian and Latvian and uh, Russian communities. Ukrainian and Russians as well, yeah. What is your relationship with them like? Absolutely wonderful relationship. You know, they always come. They're always friendly. We, you know, from the very beginning, once they enter, we say hello to everybody. They know our names. We know their names big names here coming into our shop football stars you know they do come to our shop and we're very friendly towards everybody not like russians only and it's always been like this Uh, but we do have our customers they do come some of them say we're very sorry for what our government done i mean russians you know some of them uh, don't express any feeling they don't say anything probably they are afraid or they don't want to speak you know but uh, as far so as some I, Russian people, you, you say, are, you think they Russian. might be afraid to, uh, yeah, to express yes. how they feel. Yeah, I think they they will because dictatorship they have in their country is horrible. You know, they are afraid. Or maybe they support their president, which is their right, you know. We had some uh, situation back in 2014 that people were expressing hate towards us Ukrainians because we are, you know, Ukrainian owners. And we do have our symbolic, you know, and uh, back in 2014, after Crimea was annexed, you know, we were trying to support our country and we had our symbolic, like, flags and, you know, trident, our, which is our coat of arms. You know. And uh, they were coming in saying you are selling uh, Nazis symbolic, you know, it's because of you, my granddad died in 1941, something like this, you know, and you just, you know, you don't know what to say. It strikes me as odd, you know, in a Western country, that those lines of what could be described as propaganda from Vladimir Putin and from the Kremlin about Ukraine being a fascist state are being heard and believed here would that be right? How does that happen? I don't know where they got this idea. Probably because of our um, being nationalist doesn't mean being Nazi. They kind of twisted it at some point. It's not only my point of view. It's what everybody thinks. And they call us Nazis because we do have strong beliefs in being united and being wanted to be independent. Yeah, you, you, you support Ukraine being a sovereign 
democratic state. Of course, state. this is how we became in 1991, yes, since the Soviet Union collapsed. Is that sort of difference, that sentiment between the communities, is that, uh, you know, you've, you said that you've had some of your customers, some of the Russian customers, be abusive or suggest that you're a Nazi, etc. Mm. Is there a division within the communities or would, be, would that be to overplay it? I would like to believe that not. There is no division, but there are some people who think differently, you know. I never saw any protests against Ukrainians. Now you, you go everywhere, you go in every single town, you see Ukrainian flags, you know. I live in Oldham, there are lots of flags flying around in Oldham, you know. People from different communities, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, Asian people coming and asking me whether they can get a Ukrainian flag because they want to support, they're doing some kind of actions, you know. I never saw any Russians protesting against something or standing by, like we support war. You will never see that here because people here they are they live in different countries they are not in Russia but to tell you more I think they will never go against Russian government in Russia because they are afraid they might be brave to tell you or me because I probably I don't decide anything for them they feel they, they can express it but you know it's not in my interest it's not in my nature to be against someone if I would be like this I wouldn't have this business until now and how are you personally? Very sad, very heartbroken. Every single morning you just wake up and grab your telephone hoping this hell finished and straight away calling my mom how you have been doing because even though she is in the very western part of the Ukraine you know they do have some infrastructure military bases as well you know and uh, all war is concentrated on the eastern part of the Ukraine now and we pray that it, it will not spread further but again she is a mom, a mom she's very old woman she doesn't want to leave country she she's not you know willing to leave she wants to stay and she I think it's in her blood as well in everybody's blood they, they doing what they can in Ukraine and we of course we're helping as well thank you for talking to me I really appreciate it it's okay it's okay absolutely pleasure and uh yeah, I hope it will end soon, this madness. Oksana speaking to me earlier at the Rodjana store in Chisholm Hill. Yoshi, you also sent the Mills Danny Cole along to a Ukrainian dance class this week as well, didn't you? Why? Well, I think anyone who has been to Central and Eastern Europe knows that it's a part of the world where traditional dancing, traditional costume, there's still a lot of that in the blood of the culture. You know, my family originally from what used to be called Moravia and Bohemia, that then became Czechoslovakia and Czech Republic. And I just w was sort of conscious that this is a community that still holds on to some of its folk traditions and its national traditions in a really beautiful way. And I got a bit of that at the vigil, you know, the, the flowers and the hair and, and the particular type of shawl that w some of the women were wearing and they're telling me that this one comes from my grandmother. So I wanted to capture a little bit of that and I think it was, I think it was lovely that Danny was able to go down and this is what she sent us earlier. We don't just go purely to dance, we go to socialise and see each other as well. We've got that extra little bond between each other because it's not just dancing, it's family orientated as well. On Monday evening, I went along to Cheatham Hill to meet a group of Ukrainian dancers who are called Podilia. And they're based at the Ukrainian Youth Association 
and they are entirely volunteer-led. Everyone there has day jobs in things like banking, IT and graphic design. But once a week, they all meet up together and they all sort of celebrate their culture and heritage by doing Ukrainian dancing. Padilla have about 70 dancers, which are split into two groups. So the older dancers will typically meet on a Monday and the younger children who are aged four to 12 meet later in the week. They're all under the instruction of Linda Selachiko, who runs a very tight ship. And since 1995-1996, she's been in charge of developing the choreography for the group. When I go and visit, Linda gets everyone to perform the hopak for me. So the hopak is probably one of the most well-known Ukrainian dances. It originates from central Ukraine and it gives the dancers a chance to show off because it's a very high energy, impressive, fast paced dance where the men will sort of jump up very high and do squats and then a sort of move where they'll, they'll run across the floor on their hands doing a sort of table. I meet one dancer called Sophia who is 30 and she's actually uh, Linda's daughter. She's been dancing since the age of two so her first memories are having a small pair of red ballet shoes. During the day she works in banking but she loves to come and dance and she told me I'm still going maybe creaking a little bit more than I used to. She actually told me that uh, many people stop Ukrainian dancing around the age of 30 just because it's such a high powered and very sort of demanding type of dance and usually after the age of 30 uh, especially the men tend to struggle Um, so things like their joints will get quite worn down because they do a lot of squatting and jumping. I also meet Natalie who is 22. She told me that she she loves doing Ukrainian dancing and it makes her feel proud. She says, I love telling people I do Ukrainian dancing and that sparks a whole conversation. So people are quite intrigued when she tells them she does Ukrainian dancing, perhaps because they haven't heard of it before and um, she loves sort of telling them what it is. I also met Mish, 21, who is a business student in Manchester. He travelled with Padilia a few years ago to the Liev International Ukrainian Dance and Culture Festival. He told me that prior to, to that he'd never actually been to Ukraine before, so that visit was quite special to him. He said, you always hear stories from your grandparents and parents about Ukraine and suddenly you're there dancing. Mills Danny Cole at a Ukrainian dance class this week. This is the Manchester Weekly podcast from The Mill with me, Daryl Morris and Yoshi Herman, as well as those people in Manchester and in the Ukrainian community in Manchester. There are those trying to get to Manchester from Eastern Europe. Earlier on, we spoke to Jez Myers and Maria Romanenko. They've spent most of the war travelling across Europe and trying to get a visa to get back to Manchester. Jez is from Manchester and Maria is Ukrainian and lived in Manchester for a while. They told us their story. So I would say that it's all started when we were in Poland, actually, because initially Jez was going to fly for Valentine's Day to Kiev. And I was in Kiev at that time. But then he listened to the FCDO advice. So he said, do not travel to Ukraine. If you're in Ukraine, leave immediately. So he was like, I'm not coming to Ukraine. So I got myself a flight to Poland in order to meet up with Jez. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, I'm going to fly back to Kiev. 
And to me, it felt like nothing would happen. I know there were warnings, but I was like, at that point, Putin already sort of recognized the independence of the so-called People's Republics mm-hmm. in Donetsk and Luhansk. I didn't feel like anything big would happen in Kiev anytime soon. So I was like, I'm just going to fly back. It's my home. My family is there. And Jez was like, I don't think it's a good idea, but it's okay. I'll follow you. So we flew to Kiev on Tuesday morning. And as soon as we landed, we land and like we switch our phones on to see that the state of emergency was announced. And right, and I was like, okay, well, it's not that serious. You know, the, the rights who still kind of will be able to live our lives as normal. But then by the evening, it was like already the signs that something big would happen overnight. And my dad was like, yeah, you know, if I were you, like get out of central Kiev. So we decided to go to the outskirts of Kiev. And then we went to bed. We didn't hear anything because we're in the outskirts of Kiev. And we wake up to this news of the all-out invasion starting. Mm-hmm. And Des just like wakes me up saying, you know, Kiev is getting bombed. How did you feel at that moment? I couldn't believe it. Like I was, I was sleepy and I was like, what? And then I, I went on Twitter myself and I was like, all right, okay. So it mm-hmm. has actually happened. Mm-hmm. And it, it was shocking. I just did not, yeah, I did not foresee it happening that fast, that quickly. And, you know, so widespread. Mm-hmm. So Jazz became very insistent that we leave Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like saying, well, maybe we can stay in some remote location, you mm-hmm. know, a, a house in like countryside. Mm-hmm. We can stay there, wait it out. Jess was like, no, I'm leaving the country. I'm leaving the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't care what happens. I'll walk if I have to. And he was like super insistent. Um, so I was like, right, okay, well, I'll follow you. And my dad very kindly drove us all the way to Lviv, which is in Western Ukraine near the border to Poland. And there's a pedestrian border. And basically to get to the pedestrian border, it's like an hour and 15 minute car journey. And then you sort of drop off your car or whatever. Mm-hmm. and walked through the border. But that journey took us six hours and then it was a further 23 hours of queuing at the pedestrian border and it was very, very tiresome. There was no food, no water, no toilet facilities. And by the end of it, it was so shattered. Quite a stressful time. Were you then one of those cars in those famous photographs trying to leave Kiev on the morning of the invasion? Yes, we were. So I went with his dad to get some petrol. We took an hour to get some petrol. Mm. At that point, we needed some convincing that Lviv was the sensible option to go. Mm. And it took me sort of another hour and a half to convince him. And then then we went. And again, it's a five-hour journey to Lviv and it took 10 hours. Mm. So everything everything took exponentially longer. The five-hour journey took 10 hours. One and a half-hour journey took six hours. And the border crossing, which none takes maybe 45 minutes, took 23 hours. And one of the big talking points over here has been the visa process of getting people from Ukraine who want to come to the United Kingdom. How's that process been for you? It's been long. So there were two routes. The first was the family visa route, if you fit the criteria. So if I live permanently in Ukraine and Maria and I were married or whatever it would be, then they turn those around in, they say 24 hours, it's closer to 48 or 72 and it's great. And they've waived thousands of pounds of fees. If you don't, like we don't, you're advised to qualify for the visitor's visa. Maria's had some of these before, so we had to go for the visitor's visa. The FCDO applied or told us to apply for the standard visitor's visa, which Maria's had loads of times. We applied for it and waited and waited and waited. Maria went to apply. She was like, right, well, you need to give over your passport. And she's sort of saying, well, there's going to be a war, potentially. And they said, well, it's okay. For the low, low price is £45, you can hold on to your passport, which seemed very peculiar. So Maria's only with me because she paid that money at the time. So she applied for her visitor's visa. We expected to hear back, but we expected them to expedite them. 
and we didn't hear anything back. And it wasn't until the health of the British Embassy in Warsaw yesterday and uh, my MP, Andrew Gwynn from Denton and Reddish, that we actually managed to get a visa waiver. They authorised our visa probably a week or two ago. They did that quickly, but then they sent the actual paper part of it somewhere and nobody knows where. Right. And we, we can't fly without the paper part. So we've had to get the British Embassy with, with the Home Office network to issue a, a mythical visa waiver, which doesn't actually appear anywhere. And you just kind of have to go, people go, we've got a visa waiver. So just now when we checked in for our flight, went to the Ryanair check-in desk and said, hi, we've got a visa waiver. And the woman's like, no, you haven't. Right. I'm like, yes, we have. She's like, no, you haven't. I'd know you, I'd know you if you have. But she was really sort of snotty about it. And then her colleague said, oh, no, they definitely have. Have a look on this system. And there it was. So it's just, you know, at a time when we were all, our stress levels were already through the roof, the delays with the visa have just continued to cause additional stress. The reality of it is, is that had we been in Poland and had they sorted the visa out early and quickly and expedited it, mm. we probably wouldn't have returned to Kiev in the first place and not found ourselves bomb dodging and certainly not found ourselves doing 23 hours across the border. Wow. Wow. And Maria, it sounds like you were a little bit reluctant to leave the country. Is that right? Yeah, of course. I mean, if it wasn't for jazz, I wouldn't have left. Mm. Or, I mean, if my family was leaving, I would leave with them, but mm. I wouldn't just go on my own. Mm. Uh, my family has all stayed. So I was like, well, I'll stay with my dad somewhere. You know, I'll go stay somewhere remote. It should be all right. But because jazz was so persistent, I couldn't bear the thought of like getting separated during such a time. And, you know, we already knew that the flight stopped flying and things like that. Mm. So it was, yeah, it was my main sort of reason for leaving was just to not get separated so that we don't have to worry about each other and that was the point that our interview was interrupted jez and maria had final call for their flight from poland back to manchester oh yoshi i mean quite quite an emotional moment for them after a hell of a journey to finally be boarding a flight back to manchester yeah what an extraordinary couple of weeks for them and hopefully this weekend given that it does sound like she's got some regrets about leaving Hopefully she can get together with other Ukrainians in Manchester because, you know, I've heard that there might be another demo, another vigil. Um, I don't know exactly where it will, but I've, I've heard there might be something on, on Saturday. Keep your eyes on the mill because we will definitely do an update, probably send a special newsletter telling people about it. Because honestly, I mean, last time I went to this vigil last weekend and it was really wonderful and, and moving and anger making at times as well but and that you know there were definitely hundreds of people there. I, i'm not a good estimator of crowds some journalists can look at a crowd and immediately tell you it's 200 or 500 i don't know how many it was it was it was hundreds but i almost kind of thought it should be more than that you know I, there's this kind of small space designated on Piccadilly Gardens but because of the building works and the what the kind of renovation they're doing on Piccadilly Gardens at the moment you actually can't fill out the whole of the gardens and there wasn't enough space to have thousands and thousands of people and I kind of think in a city like this with such a strong Ukrainian community who I think would love to see loads and loads of readers and listeners out showing their solidarity and their support and their emotional support. You know, I kind of hope that we can have a bigger vigil, whether it's Piccadilly Gardens or St. Pete's Square or, or maybe St. Anne's Square even. Um, I think if a lot of people knew about it, and I know most people didn't know about last weekend's vigil, I think a lot of people would come. So, yeah, I, I hope that um, Jez and Maria get to see a lot of people out who who really care about this issue and um, are expressing their support. Mm, and it definitely feels like, you know, across Greater Manchester, across 
every corner of the the community there is a i guess in some quarters a sense of helplessness but at least a, a desire to have an outlet for frustration or anger or wanting to show solidarity with ukraine and with the ukrainian community here in manchester definitely and i think i think in particular it's very moving for people who are from ukraine or have ukrainian links to see other nationalities there Mm. few people said to me who i spoke to this week it was so nice to see poles speaking and belarusians and and russians and to see lots of Brits there. And I think the more people you can get along to these things, the more kind of sucker it gives and support it gives to these poor people whose country has been invaded, whose families are escaping shelling, who are going through obviously the worst, you know, probably the worst time of their lives. Mm. So we'll offer some update if there's, if there's another event coming up. Good stuff. It's, it's a very odd experience, isn't it, following these events from home. A mention for a family in Bolton who are watching these events in a slightly different way, I suppose, their son, Clive Myrie, who is the BBC reporter. Uh, you'll have seen him, no doubt, if you've been watching BBC News over the last week or so, situated in Kiev, occasionally from a bunker, occasionally from uh, a place that they have in the centre of the city. And he is from Bolton, originally. His mm-hmm. mum uh, is still there, still in Bolton. He used to volunteer at Bolton FM, actually, mm-hmm. the community radio station <laughs> in Bolton, his mum. And they will no doubt be watching this through a slightly different lens, feeling concerned, but also, I'm sure, pride for the incredible incredible job that he and hundreds and hundreds thousands probably of diligent journalists are doing out there to bring us news from the ground so a nod to clive from bolton absolutely for his work okay there's plenty more at manchestermill.co.uk that's where you go to subscribe for deep dives into interesting stories from various corners of greater manchester there now you'll hear yoshi's reflections in full from that protest vigil in the city at the weekend uh, there is also an interview with maria whose parents came from rochdale to escape the oppression of the soviet union in 1947 the mills danny cole met her at a church service in rochdale at the weekend and also some interesting insights into a debate that's raging around a statue in the centre of Manchester as well. Brought from a village in eastern Ukraine by the artist Phil Collins, he was criticised at the time for not asking the Manchester Ukrainian community whether they welcomed a piece of Soviet propaganda that their countrymen had torn down. As you can imagine, it's back at the centre of a debate this week. That's all on the Mill newsletter. ManchesterMill.co.uk is where you subscribe. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast as well. Yoshi and I will be back next week on the Manchester Weekly.